Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast podcast, the podcast that takes a sideways look at politics, but that's mainly because politics appears to be lying face down, waiting to die. This is episode 144, I'm Tiernan Duyeb, and yes, that is an intro line I've used before, but I'm following the example set by the Prime Minister, a novelty winter hat on top of a scowl, Theresa May, who is bringing her three times rejected deal to the Commons. May says it's new and improved, which will excite far-right Brexiteers who are hoping it'll be for a whiter-than-white Brexit. And the PM insists the bill will be a bold offer, which is very likely just a reference to changes she's made to the text formatting. It's EU Elections Week, and they're either about to happen or have happened, depending on where you are in your week when you hear this. Or if you're from an alternate multiverse where the Conservatives managed to actually go through with Brexit in March, as they planned, they're still about to happen or have happened, as chances are you'll have emigrated to an EU country in order to, you know, still eat things. So, what does May offer the public in an election her party have repeatedly said is pointless? Yeah, that's right, surety. Didn't like her deal before? Well, you'll very likely still hate it when it returns in June. But in these turbulent times, maybe it's just that sort of certainty that we need and will pull everyone together. I mean, is she planning to actually change the deal at all? Is the Prime Minister even really hoping it goes through? Or is the notion that it just keep popping back for a vote every few months Theresa May's way of giving a schedule to an ever-flailing country? No, of course not. It's because she has absolutely no other ideas and no one else does either. And this is the Sisyphean nightmare that we all deserve. Cross-party talks failed with no deal at the end of them, with each side blaming the other in what I like to call the same storyline, but again, and this time even more boring. Labour leader and exhausted shrew Jeremy Corbyn said the talks had gone as far as they can, which I imagine means five minutes of polite chat, followed by each leader looking at their phones for an hour until they're allowed outside again. He said the talks' failure was down to the government's increasing weakness and instability, which is an exact reversal of May's old campaign slogan, Strong and Stable, leaving us with the sort of narrative arc some Game of Thrones fans would sign a petition about. 
May, of course, said it was Labour's fault as the lack of common position in their party had made talks difficult. But Labour do have a common position. It's just a sort of tantric one that involves them going to extra effort so that they can constantly fuck themselves. So, the deal will return in the week of June the 3rd, a week that also has a visit from US President and infected arse implant Donald Trump, the Peterborough by-elections and the 75th anniversary of the D-Day landings. But what better way to honour all those who died in the Second World War and the event in Normandy that began the liberation of Europe from fascists than by combining it in a week with a state welcome to a white supremacist sympathiser, having a battle to replace a black official and voting on a deal to remove the country from its European alliances. It's like celebrating the 1833 Abolition of Slavery Act with a rollout of unpaid workfare schemes, or the Great Fire of London by handing out free shell suits and space heaters. If the country survives that week, then there'll probably be memorial celebrations in about 75 years' time, which will refer to it as B-Day on account of the shit that we managed to get through. What would be a good celebration of the liberation of Europe from a despot would be if June the 6th is the day that May resigns, as she's expected to go regardless of if her bill passes or not. Former Foreign Secretary and half-shaved honey monster with a head injury, Boris Johnson, has announced that he'll be standing in the Conservative Party leadership contest, probably in order to spend less time with his families. It was an incredibly unsurprising announcement, and Boris is now the favourite to be new leader, according to a poll of Conservative members. I mean, I suppose if you've already given up on the party, why not elect someone who'll completely quash any last dying embers by clumsily falling on top of them while shouting something about Churchill? That's if there'll be a party left for Johnson to be a leader of, of course. I mean, dog strangler Michael Heseltine has announced that he'll be voting for the Liberal Democrats in the EU elections, saying that his party had become infected with the virus of extremism. Can you really become infected if you've been a carrier for that many years? Hmm... Hesseltine's announcement has sent shockwaves through the Conservatives, as none of them can believe that a high-ranking member would want to work with the Lib Dems. Again. But why not when their EU slogan is bollocks to Brexit, which is either an aggressively anti-Brexit slogan or a very pro-Brexit one for nudists? When on the BBC's Andrew Marshall, party leader and Vizzini from The Princess Bride, Vince Cable, talked about their slogan and he said bollocks on air on BBC in the morning. Many, like myself, were very shocked and surprised as really someone should have said that on the Andrew Marr show before, probably Andrew Marr himself when speaking to nearly every single guest every single week. Vince also defended the Lib Dems' time in the coalition government by saying that people are reappraising its achievements. And he's right. I mean, we all still think it was a horrifically shit time, but we've realised that without the Lib Dems, the Tories are even worse than that. They were the least shit of two hugely shit options. It's like diluting your mug of turds with a bit of steaming piss, so it's not quite as bad as a full mug of turds. But regardless, it's nice to know that by electing the Lib Dems to MEP seats where they'd only operate inside the EU for however long we remain within it and they'd have absolutely no part in the Brexit negotiations, that somehow you'd be saying bollocks to Brexit. Like how if you got a job as a cinema rusher and while there you showed people to their seats, you'd be an active campaigner against the monopolisation of the film industry by Disney. Passive protesting for the win. While Hesseltine said he'd be voting for the Lib Dems, 62% of Conservative voters say they're going to vote for the Brexit party because nothing says put out this fire than embracing some firelighters and a blowtorch and jumping straight into the flames. Brexit party leader and the missing link between something sticky you found on your shoe that time and the unpleasant feeling you get in your gut if you go over a bump too quickly, Nigel Farage, is under investigation after failing to declare being given nearly half a million pounds in funding by billionaire made entirely of neck Aaron Banks. 
Farage denied he was given any money by banks, then when it was proved that he was, admitted it, but said he wasn't in politics at the time. You know, except for that MEP job he'd been hired to do that he's been trying to get re-elected for all over again. Obviously, you know, apart from that, he wasn't in politics. The funding included a chauffeur-driven car, rent and bills on a £4.4 million home in Chelsea, and private flights to the US to meet Trump-supporting politicians. Because, hey, how are you meant to challenge the elite if you don't research your enemy and the way in which they live their elitist lives? Right? I mean, it's just a immense undercover investigation of the sort that anyone looking in that isn't the elite can totally see. I mean, how can you prove you're a man of the people if you can't look at the people from the window of your Chelsea home and sneer at them as they walk past before calling security just in case because some of them aren't white and they're just a little bit too close to your door? It's just because Nigel cares so much about doing what's right that he has to fly privately anywhere as how will he really know what the people need if he has to actually talk to any of them? An investigation into the funding of the Brexit party has been called for as there are concerns that its financial structure, or rather lack of, could lead to foreign interference in the elections or money laundering. Which completely misses the point that I'm sure that's what they set it up for in the first place. I mean, why else would you willingly assemble a collection of melted versions of Tussard's Chambers of Horrors to spend weeks bleating loudly at crowds of people they obviously didn't like? Farage said the accusations were disgusting smears, which is weird as that's exactly one of my many preferred ways to describe him. At a Brexit party rally in Edinburgh, police asked a local McDonald's to stop selling milkshakes out of concerns that they may be thrown at Farage in protest. But only a couple of days later, it didn't stop someone absolutely dousing him in milkshake in Newcastle, though, leaving Nigel looking very shaked up like a twat who got the cream. Farage said he'll actually be prosecuting the milk chucker because while lots of the alt-right like to call everyone snowflakes, it does seem that they're unable to stop crying over spilt milk. The throwing milkshakes at fascist trend is growing, as UKIP candidate and man who has the face of someone who's been banned from going near any of his local schools, Carl Benjamin, had four milkshakes thrown over him last week during campaigning. You'd think you'd be able to take a joke though, right? You know what I mean? Just a joke, innit, Carl? Though to be fair, it might have been far more powerful if protesters had shouted, I wouldn't even milkshake you at him and just walked off. Some far-right commentators seem to think that chucking milkshakes are just one step away from throwing bricks, like they're a gateway glug. But I think that what that mainly shows is that their politics are so flawed, they're just scared of anything that has consistency. At the other end of the political spectrum, Change UK, a.k.a. The Independent Group, a.k.a. My First Politics Project, show that their name, or at least their latest name, seems to mainly represent their candidates' mindsets, as their lead candidate in Scotland, David MacDonald, a man who looks like the sitcom version of a construction foreman, has quit. He's now endorsing the Lib Dems instead, the party of sloppy seconds, on account, he said, of Change UK not standing much of a chance. Party leader in all but title and man made entirely of unbiodegradable materials, Chuka Amuna, said it was disappointing that MacDonald had let his fellow candidates down. Oh, that's funny, Chucks. You're saying that abandoning your party isn't a good thing. Hmm... Meanwhile, another of Change UK's candidates, and what if Rod Stewart and Penny Lancaster were merged in a teleportation accident, Rachel Johnson, has said that the party is a sinking ship with a terrible name. Well, at least once it's sunk, no one will remember what the name is or what to look for and won't waste any time searching for survivors. The biggest tragedy of the party is that they haven't been filming and documenting their journey so that they can edit it afterwards and win lots of comedy awards. I mean, just look at the speech made by Joan, always looks like she's just made a pie out of her victims, Ryan, where she's asked the audience to look at their hands before telling them that's where the future is. It would have been better to either get them to place their faces into them or have them stare at their feet as she quietly shuffled off instead. 
Heidi, always looking like a headshot from a staff page on a website for a corporation that does something vague about consulting, Alan, challenged Nigel Farage to a debate, but he declined, asking who she was. While it could be a valid question from almost anyone else, it just shows that Farage is too scared to debate someone he doesn't know in case it might be a child or name of a table with various statements written on it that could easily defeat any points he has. Still, I think it should go ahead, but only so I know I'll be able to avoid both of them by not watching just one channel. The Institute of Fiscal Studies is launching the UK's biggest analysis on inequality and claims that widening gaps in earnings are making a mockery of democracy. Well, it's nice to know that it's in line with the political parties we have, huh? This comes as the government revealed that female unemployment is at its lowest since 1971, but also that 4 million people are in poverty despite having jobs. Hooray for equality! Now even more women can earn not enough to live too. Brilliant. ITV show known for exploiting and abusing people with mental health issues and those on benefits, Jeremy Kyle, was axed last week after a contestant committed suicide a week after recording. This is long overdue, this cancellation, and I can only hope that at some point soon Kyle is interviewed by a presenter who keeps circling him, telling him he's a disgrace, that he's let his family down, asking him how on earth he's going to sort his life out now he's unemployed, and making him do a lie detector test. Conservative MP and definite human disguise for an alien, Damien Collins, was one of the MPs calling for the show to be cancelled, saying that it's cruel to vulnerable people, which must upset him, I guess, because yet again someone's trying to steal his party's brand. Number 10 was lit up in the sort of green you'd find in a Victorian torture cellar, apparently to mark the start of Mental Health Awareness Week. And that's a great call. I mean, why not make people really aware of mental health issues and the dire state services are in by choosing to spend a ton of money on green lights instead of social care? The government have decided to renationalise the promotion service uh, as the part privatisation of it was a costly failure. You know who that part privatisation was initiated by? That's right, you've guessed it. Now Transport Secretary and freezer-burnt cod carcass Chris Grayling. Maybe we've been getting Grayling wrong all this time. I mean, perhaps Chris Grayling is a secret socialist spy. Maybe he's just biding his time in transport until everything's such a mess that all the railways are nationalised too, before then heading over to energy. Nah, I'm sure it's actually just that he's so bad there's no other options left. But on that basis alone, I really hope that he becomes the next Conservative leader and most of the services in the UK should be in public ownership by the end of the year. The Conservatives have rejected adopting the all-parliamentary group on British Muslims' definition of Islamophobia, saying that it would inhibit free speech, by which, you know, they mean the free speech uh, to be horribly Islamophobic whenever they like. Do you remember when Labour had their own definition of what anti-Semitism was and they were pressured into accepting the IHRA one as their refusal displayed clear, unacceptable racism? Well, this isn't like that at all, because that was a code defined by the highly respected International Holocaust Remembrance Association and was widely agreed by many to be a defining notion of what anti-Semitism was and this, well, this is about Muslims so the Conservatives couldn't give a shit. Across the pond in the US, the state of Alabama has passed a law banning abortion in almost all cases, including incest or rape, because as the state with the second highest amount of gun violence last year, they're just in desperate need of fodder for their killing sprees. 31 of Alabama's 35 senators are men and the four female ones did not back it. The law may not pass through court and Trump has not fully backed it, saying that he is pro-life in all but three exceptions, rape, incest and the protecting the life of the mother, leaving out his other pro-life exceptions, of course, of anyone in Iran, black people and any illicit children from any of his mistresses. And lastly, former Prime Minister and tenderised Iggle Piggle, David Cameron, has announced the title of his forthcoming autobiography that absolutely no one has asked for. And it's called For the Record. I'm really excited to see exactly which record he means. Is it the one for quickest cowardly escape after fucking everything up? The record of tax avoidance sums hiding in the Caymans? The record of most pigs shagged? Most like a deflated balloon? Or who knows? I'm very excited to find it in a charity shop and not read it and just put it in a bin.
And Britain came absolutely last in the Eurovision Song Contest, despite a man who looked like the nightmare Sam Smith has about himself, Michael Rice, trying his very best, which was shit. We probably should have sung a cover of Should I Stay or Should I Go? The event took place in Israel with the message Dare to Dream for this year's show. Just, you know, don't dare to dream of a two-state solution or the liberation of the people of Palestine, apparently. Madonna, dressed like she was trying to escape in Mortan Joe, protested against the Israeli government by singing like she was trying to destroy their ears. And then she had two of her dancers wear the Israel and Palestine flag and embrace each other, which is a lovely gesture, as if only any Palestine can get that close to Israeli leader and anemic goblin Netanyahu, then they may actually be able to take him out. Hello, Podchamps. How's tricks? Or for any of you that aren't magicians, how's things? Um, I shamefully watched Eurovision on Saturday, despite the boycott that many were doing in support of Palestine, and I had a few people on Twitter call me a scab and say very rude words. Um, And I don't think they're wrong to boycott it at all. I'm very much in support of that. But part of me can't help but feel that not watching a show wouldn't have made any difference to anything. And in fact, it's 100% likely no one would have noticed if I wasn't watching it. But me watching and regularly tweeting about the oppression of Palestine throughout, well, still no one really cared. But I think it reached a handful more people. I always think of a lovely story about excellent comedian Robin Ince uh, that I'll probably tell badly. Sorry, Robin, if you ever hear this, you don't listen. It'll be fine. Um, But him turning up to host a charity gig for the Red Cross only to find BAE Systems were in attendance. And then he panicked and called champion political comedian Mark Thomas and asked if he should just walk out of the gig. And Mark said, no, uh, do it, but make your point. So Robin walked on stage, talked about the work the Red Cross do, and then said, and thanks to BAE Systems, as without your horrific weapons the red cross wouldn't have anything to do brilliant that's the way to do it i mean look i'm probably wrong but feel free to not write in and tell me uh the eurovision did force israel to have a ceasefire with gaza after things kicked off last week so maybe the best thing to do is campaign to have a eurovision every single week resulting in everlasting peace okay look i'll stop on this now it's it's very obvious my moral compass is a mess i mean i'm mostly socialist but i really love trainers um I want to save the environment, but I also want to book some flights to go away on holiday for a bit. I very much want the Conservative government to fuck off and Brexit to be resolved in the best way possible. But also, if that happens, I'm going to lose a lot of jokes and this podcast will get fairly dull. It's tricky being selfish, isn't it? Imagine losing the Brexit fallout jingle that we haven't heard for weeks. But there you go. Anyway, look, I'll tell you what, though. I am loving this tackling fascism with milkshakes. And again, as was the theme this weekend, someone on Twitter told me I was wrong and that we should be better than that in fighting the far right. Really? Milkshakes aren't violent, you know, unless the recipient is lactose intolerant. The only reason I can see against it is that you're likely giving business to global corporations like McDonald's, which isn't great, unless you use a Yazoo, which is in a hard plastic bottle, so that it does become violent, so that's not great. Plus, I guess you're endorsing the dairy industry in a world where veganism is increasingly important. So I guess you could throw a dairy alternative, but then they're quite pricey. So suddenly you've made tackling fascists elitist, uh, which isn't good. Um, Iced tea, maybe instead. I suppose it'd have to be herbal, though, as property is theft. Oh, it's all very hard. I mean, obviously, the best thing would be is if the far right weren't empowered by a failing democracy and a media who seeks ratings over information. But hey, look, for now, I think milkshakes are okay. Um, essentially what I'm doing this week uh, is waffling on and making poor excuses for my shitness and what I should be doing is saying a big old thank you lot for being here again even though impending EU elections will render this week's show semi-pointless in but a few days Um, that's why I'm not talking about the EU elections on this show it's absolutely pointless isn't it Uh, if you are listening to this on Saturday enjoy the smugness of hindsight Um, enjoy hearing all the jokes that I made at the beginning of this and going none of that happened you were completely wrong it turned out that uh, an asteroid hit Earth on the very day and they didn't even take place who 
actually knows? Um, thanks this week to Dave for donating to the Patreon. And if you too would like to buy me a drink for this weekly jabbering, you can do that monthly at patreon.com forward slash parpolebro or also at kofiko-fi.com forward slash parpolebro or a one-off if I only deserve uh, one drink ever. You don't have to buy me more than one drink. You don't have to buy me any drinks. If handing over your hard-earned moolah isn't a plan, then please just give the show on whichever pod app you use or just spread the word. I mean, this show didn't win anything at the British Podcast last weekend or even get nominated or probably even vaguely thought about by anyone there. But on the plus side, what that means is this show is super underground, cool and cult and hasn't remotely sold out. So if that's how you want to tell other people about it, you go nuts. And then when it's really popular, you can all tell each other how you liked it the way it used to be, but now I've ruined it. And then start a petition for me to remake loads of it. On this week's show, I'm speaking to friend of the podcast, Tatton Spiller from Simple Politics, who's now been on the show three times. I mean, he's basically the partly political broadcast version of Farage. But I won't be chucking milkshakes at him. Uh, I'll probably be buying him a pint. Oh, God, I'm an enabler. I'm an enabler. Um, Tatton has released a book, so I talked to him all about that, plus a bit about the kids' shows that we're doing, which are happening in Folkestone at the Courthouse on Saturday, 25th of May, and the Underbelly Festival in Southbank on the 30th and the 31st of May. Please come, please, please come. I've popped the links in the podcast below a bit again, so you can buy tickets for you and your tiny people uh, while listening please come um, as well as just promoting things I'm doing there is also the return of the partly global broadcast for a quick catch up on worldly happenings um, because it turns out things do happen in places that aren't doing a Brexit I know right plus you can't do EU elections because you'll listen to this and go you were right everything was wrong it was wrong anyway first up here is this <laughs> If I was to say that we're living in times of massive societal division, some of you would agree and some of you wouldn't, entirely proving my point and allowing me to high-five everyone before crowd-surfing over your sea of general unimpressedness. According to the folks, them public folks, you're either for or against everything. A traitor or a patriot, a Brexiteer or a Remainer, a Corbynist or a Blairite, a typical lefty or a scumbag fascist, a member of the elite or of the people but at the same time actually also of the elite. Marvel or DC, Team Edward or Team Jacob, wash your legs in the shower or not, etc, etc. And this sort of aggressive division isn't healthy outside of some sort of combined boxing and maths class, which, if it isn't a thing, it should really be a thing. Someone make that. So here we are in a world where cross-party talks can't work because they're cross-party and lines can't be crossed. An election that should be about which MEPs will do the job best for however long they're there is now another referendum on leaving or remaining in the EU. And I'm struggling to write jokes on Twitter without some idiot making a comment like, this is why your side can't win elections, causing me to reply that my side can't win elections because I'm always lying on it and I don't enter it into elections, which generally cause much confusion. But do we need to be here? Isn't there some lovely utopian middle ground everyone could meet on and share the things they agree on while Nigel Farage lurks in the corners trying to not enter the sunlight for fear of death? Did at Mitch Lane need me to confuse and upset him with my weird response? Well, no, except to the last one, but there probably isn't a magical solution for all. But there was a time many moons ago where at least civil discourse was just that, civil, and not shouty-shouty othering. As the phrase goes, united we stand, divided we waste away our lives on social media getting all angry because there still isn't an obvious sarcastic or joking font and that makes everything really tricky. But could we return to a time where people find common ground without some developer getting there first to build luxury flats on it? Well, maybe, yes. And before you might say I'm a dreamer, which I'm not, as lack of sleep due to parenting ensures that I'm not, you might want to check out the new book, my friend of the podcast, and of mine too, as it happens, Tatton Spiller. Creator of Simple Politics and my cohort in our kids' show about politics has written his first book entitled The Breakdown, Making Sense of Politics in a Messed Up World. In it, Tatton explains all the political ideologies, where similarities lie between them, and makes a pretty good case for why we should really stop being such bastards to each other. 
Luckily, I'm able to read books again in between telling everyone how tired I am and changing nappies and saying how tired I am and stopping my daughter headbutting sharp things and telling everyone how tired I am. Have I said that bit? Have I said that bit already? And I breezed through Tatton's book last week, and thoroughly learning, enjoying and laughing my way through it. The last part, of course, is because he's put some lovely gags and similes throughout, not because I'm being mean. Um, I actually couldn't recommend it enough. It's a brilliant, brilliant read. And so this week, Tatton had a chat with me all about his new book, and I asked him annoying questions about it to be contradictory for no reason uh, other than that he's a friend and that's really fun to do. Oh, and I know there was a bit in this that I was meant to edit out, um, but despite two listens all the way through, I couldn't find it. So let me know if you do, and you won't win a prize, but I will say something nice about your hair. I hope you enjoy, and here is Tatten. We just mentioned before we started recording, this is a bit of a sneak, a sneak uh, kind of, what you, what's the word, a tease to the to the listeners, and that we've had a chat before I started recording. That always happens. It was so oh, it good. it was so good. It was better than anything <laughs> we're going to say during this podcast. Oh, no, what an awful thing. But, yeah, I don't know how they tune into that. Join the Patreon, and I'll tell you about it uh, secretly to your ears. Um, <laughs> one of the things, as you just mentioned, you know, it, these are really tricky times to be non-partisan, and you've just released this book, which I've just I've just finished reading on the tube on the way to to do this interview with you and um and I didn't read the appendix which I'm very sorry about I haven't got to that bit yet it's the best bit is that the, best, the best bit? bit should I have waited and done that well I mean the appendix is what is 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 just it's the mechanics it's it's the look at how politics work I think we have called it a look under the hood of UK politics and it's looking at how laws are made and it's looking at how political parties work and it's looking at all the, that kind of thing and um this is just stuff that I know really well from having worked at Parliament and a lot of people don't really know and I've tried to write it in a way that's not really boring. And some of the time, Tiernan, some of the time I was successful in that. <laughs> well, I think I think your success... Because I'd say the whole book is about um, the mechanics of politics or at least the... I, I think it's a brilliant... Um, and I don't mean to sound this in a you know, in maybe a demeaning way, but I think it's a beginner's guide. Is that, would you, you wouldn't take offence at that, would you? Because I think it is. It's it's a brilliant book for someone who is wanting to know where everyone stands on things, what the breakdowns of different policies are. And I found that, I say beginner's guide, I still, I don't, I don't actually know anything, but even from my point of view, I think I learnt quite a lot from reading it. But I think it's a perfect beginner's guide to politics where we are now. Is that is that okay to say that? Yeah, I think, I, I think it is. But it's also, I think... A lot of the book is about finding out what other people think and why other people think that. I think lots of people who aren't beginners are really well-versed in their own way of thinking about politics. It all comes down to these echo chambers that we're in. And you know if you consider yourself, I don't know, a socialist, you know really well socialist policies. And when people say things that aren't socialist policies, it's really easy to go... Well, that's just wrong, and anyone who's suggesting that is evil and wants everyone to 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 live worse lives, rather than to understand that that it's just their way of thinking about how to improve the lot of other people. But now, this is what comes to what we were saying before we started the show, and it's probably um, before I go on to ask you more things about the book. Um, it, these are tricky times to try and be non-partisan and look at how other people think, aren't they? Especially in times where, and I, I shan't uh, cast aspersions on any particular group because it's actually quite a few groups, but facts have disappeared <laughs> and evidence has disappeared and lots of beliefs now based on just passionate 
but well, passionate beliefs are just passionate reasons to do things without any, uh, you know, backing up uh, of any evidence. It, that makes it quite hard to look at what someone's saying and say, ah, yeah, I, yeah, I can see where you're coming from, doesn't it? I'm not sure. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I think I think where arguments are presented is very easy to to. Well, first of all, I'm not trying to suggest that if you're a neoliberal, you should suddenly turn around and uh, and, and and adopt socialist values because that's that's not that's not who you are. But 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 neoliberals have their their idea of the way to run things um and and and, and it all ties in it, i mean evidence it's really hard because you can kind of make evidence if you're talking about something speculative in the future it's quite easy to make evidence suggest whichever your argument might be is going to be correct um you know, I think what's the, what's difficult about being non-partisan at the moment, I think specifically with these EU elections coming up, is that is that yeah, well, the, the arguments are so deep rooted, and and I spent I spent a lot of time in schools talking to people about how politics works, and I say to them, right, so. There's this party, and they've got this manifesto, and they're going to say these things. And, and, and if you vote for them, they'll do the things they say. Except that, except that the Brexit party and the Conservative party don't have manifestos for the EU elections. And I got a leaflet through my door. The Labour party does have a manifesto. But I got a leaflet through my door from the Labour party. And the Labour party said, uh, oh, yeah, if you vote for us in the EU elections, we're going to put 10,000 police back on the street. But, but the the European Parliament can't put police on our streets. Whatever. <laughs> if, if Labour won seventy three out of seventy three seats in the EU elections, we still wouldn't get ten thousand police on our streets. It's not how this works. And I just, I just, I feel, you know. So, so I'm grumpy with the Brexit party, and I'm grumpy with the Labour party. This is why I find it hard to be impartial because because they're not playing by the rules that are set out for the game. And as someone who tries to explain what those rules are to people to help people follow it, I get incredibly frustrated by this stuff. But, I mean, but nothing is, is by the rules at the moment. Bre Brexit has sort of single-handedly changed all the rules. <laughs> I say single-handedly, yes. it's many hands involved in Brexit. But it is... Many, many you hands. You know, I mean, uh, for example, May, in any other situation, would have resigned by now, or the, you know, the fourth... The same deal wouldn't have been brought back again a fourth time, or, you know, and that's just looking at one party and one aspect of it. Um, you know, as you said, we're talking in the EU elections, the most popular party probably by the time some people listening to this who knows but likely the brexit party who haven't got a manifesto who don't know you know it, it, we're in so what if so tiernan tiernan the, the the brexit party let's say let's say they win 22 seats out of 73 something like that i think it, it looks likely what are their 22 meps going to do they've got no mandate because they haven't said they're going to do anything no one's vote. So I mean, UKIP are very clear. They will go to the EU. I mean, they won't win any seats this time. But if they did, they would go to the EU and they would vote against everything the EU wants to do. And you know, that's that's their ideology. They want to stop the EU doing anything. That makes sense. It's playing by the rules. 
But for the Brexit party, they can't have any policies. It's just so it's so hard to talk about this stuff in politics. They don't have any policies because because they've got people who can't agree on policies. Change UK have a manifesto, but it's like a sheet and a half of A4 saying we'll have a second referendum. Um, and they want to reform the EU from within. But, you know, I don't know, I don't know how their one, two, three MEPs are going to be successful in reforming the EU. Um, so again, but they can't have policies that aren't on this stuff because they've got people who don't agree with anything on anything else. You got, is it Claire Fox, as she called yeah, it, in yeah. the Brexit yeah. party? You got Claire Fox and Nigel Farage, they're never going to get an agenda together. So you've got these diff- massively different ideologies. And it's, you know, <laughs> I, I, I often tell people that um, I, think it, I think, again, I think it's a bit of a shame that both our main political parties are not broad churches. They're becoming increasingly slimmer churches as we go along. Um, I quite like broad church parties. Especially because broad church part a two party system has to have broad church parties because you have to fit in a lot of people in those two parties, and if you're going to shrink the size of those churches, then the two party system becomes really hard to to justify. But you see, it's interesting you said because I think I, I can see uh, different in terms of sort of Labour um, for for use of terrible terms, but Corbynistas have sort of trumped the Blairites in that party now, and the the Blairites have well a handful of them have gone to change UK. Um, there are still sort of more. I guess, sort of older new Labour people in rather than the new new Labour people. But in the Conservatives, it's still the reason they're not getting anything done is because they're still a broad church in terms of heart, most of them don't agree with each other. So, <laughs> Well, we've also seen we've also seen people leave the Conservative Party. Hmm. A couple, a few, yeah. A, a couple. I mean, yeah, it's in a, not, not on the same scale. But we have seen people leave the Conservative Party and there's people increasingly frustrated with the Conservative but Party. But is there not... Who are in the Sorry, is there not something to say for you know? Uh, and, and again, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that I condone or, or uh, promote either of these things. But for example, if the Conservatives were not a broad church and were all of one idea, would we not have seen Brexit move along faster? Whether that was in a direction we wanted it to or not, do you know what I mean? In, in terms of oh, but you see, but you see, this is the problem: is that Brexit is an ideology buster. People on the far left and the mid left and the centre and the whatever on the right all have different opinions on Brexit. There's socialists, there's you know Labour Leave. There are strong socialists in the Labour Leave movement. Like, like we go back to Claire, to, Fox, um, yeah. Claire Fox. She's a she's a socialist, isn't she? So so so. Brexit's really messed everything up. But the point you made about how the the Corbynites have trumped the Blairites is that under Blair, the Corbynites hmm. were still at oh, the yeah, party. Yeah. Under Blair, it was a broad church. But now, now the Corbynites have trumped them, to use your term. <laughs> so it was a te- terrible use the of language. Blairites, <laughs> the Blairites are, are welcome. 
they don't like it. And, uh, you know, Tristan, I mean, Tristan Hunt left pretty quick, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, I'd also, uh, <clears throat> to play devil's advocate here, I'd say that they're, they're both not welcome. Also, quite a lot of them don't want to be. Well, I think there's equal parts on both sides saying, we don't want you here, and yeah, then saying, we okay. don't really want to be here anymore. <laughs> like, I, I feel uh, uh, there's animosity. But what, what I mean is, in terms of, just to, again, uh, I just I'll just be a devil's advocate throughout all of this for the for the fun of it. Hey, the devil needs someone on his own. Um always. always. But you know, were Labour one one mindset, you know, would you not get actual ideas going through? If the Tories were not all one mindset, would you not get them rather than this constant bickering infighting that seems to take over any actual ideas ever being discussed or policies being made, if they could all sit down and go, Yeah, we all do think that, would you not get more movement? Or is that a naive way of looking at it. I mean, it sounds terrible. <laughs> where would be the scrutiny, the in-party scrutiny? Where would be... Where would you, if, if the Prime Minister just said, we're going to do this, and the whole party said, yes, we're going to do this, and then, the, uh, then, then that's a dictatorship. That's, things need questioning all the way through so they can be justified. Because otherwise you just get complacent, don't you? If you've got a broad church in your party and an idea gets put up and it's debated and then hopefully an idea comes through. I mean, again, Brexit, and this is the real issue, is that for months now there has been nothing but Brexit. But Brexit destroys all that because there there can be no compromise. Because if you're still in the customs union, you're you're not free to make trade deals everywhere. And that's, and that, you know, and people who, a lot of the hard Brexiteers, that's their big thing is they get to trade with the world. So, you, you know, okay, I, I say there were no compromises. Occasionally people suggest compromises, like we'll be an A customs union that allows us to trade with Europe freely because it's a customs union, but also allows us to do what we want around the world. I mean, that, that can't happen, but occasionally politicians suggest it because it's, well, you know, why not? Like you can suggest, you can suggest what you like, but but Brexit, there is no there is no compromise. You're you're in or you're out. You're you you know this. You're you know Labour's jobs first Brexit keeps us in a customs union, which a lot of people, if people voted to take back control, and wants to tr- a lot of people voted Brexit to trade freely around the world. Because they believe that the EU is a dying is a dying force, and China and countries in Africa um, are really making 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 waves, and they've got these growing economies, and it'd be great to trade with them in a better way. And there's no compromise between those two positions. You're either free trade with the world, or you're a customs union. And there's and there's a lot of other. I mean, you know, very few people suggesting we're in the single. We stay in the single market um, because I think everyone kind of accepts that freedom of movement has to go. Although there were protesters the other day calling for freedom of movement to re- to retain freedom of movement. Again, well, you've got freedom of movement or you haven't. You know, these things. There is there is no compromise available that everyone could, that it gives everyone a feel. Like a good compromise gives everyone like they've got something in the final bill, and that's impossible, isn't it? It's going to be absolutely impossible. And that's just well with Brexit. There's no, there's no, 
You yeah, you I, I do. I really personally wish somebody would advocate. Okay, uh, how about we do this just over fifteen years? <laughs> like, let's just do this really slowly over fifteen years. And uh, <laughs> it, always, it just always amazes me that it has to be done so quickly. Uh, Forty years of of, uh, of of trading just undone in a matter of years. Um, I mean, but it isn't. So here he goes. Um, I, I was I, one of the things I, I very much like about your book. There's lots of things I like about your book. I love how um, conversation. It is. I like the the humour that you managed to put in. I don't know uh, exactly uh, which staff member you envisioned having bronzed arms, but I like that. Um, and you probably don't remember putting that bit in. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Listeners, Tatton has uh, a look of shock on his face. Um, I, I can't remember. I think that was about, about people being critical of why MPs might become MPs. Uh, <laughs> you talked about that. Someone's bronze stars made me laugh. Um, anyway, but th- there's lots of lovely. It's it's a very it's a very easy read in in, in the best way. Like I really breezed through it and I enjoyed it. Um, but it's the I, I like that you present different um, arguments and different ideologies arguments for different current issues. Um, and I yeah. think it's incredibly important, even when you present ones that I think, oh my god, that argument is so awful. But you're right in that it's right to present <laughs> it, even if. Uh, and I say this silly. I think it's most important to understand what other people think, but also from a perspective, as you say, from campaigning, you've got to know what the other people think in order to tackle it and challenge it. Um, however, do you think I, you know we're in a funny world now of where social media is targeting people based on what they think? Are you thinking? You know, do you think? the echo chambers are harder to escape when say your facebook only brings up adverts it thinks you already want and political adverts it thinks you already might be interested in doesn't that affect the idea of being able to see other views if everything is now pointed at us well i mean that's exactly it but but we 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 our own our own echo chamber and cnn you 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 did you had a whole stand-up show about how great echo chambers are i did mate but i'm not gonna talk about my own material on my podcast come on i already <laughs> talk enough on this thing yeah <laughs> um you you because you, your echo chamber starts off just because because of how it is i mean you know i don't i don't know i don't know what the average number of friends is on facebook i think i've got something like 200 friends on facebook Check you. right uh, i'm just really popular um but i don't i don't regularly see posts from 200 people i regularly see posts probably from 40 people maybe in rotation and the reason for that is because i have interacted with posts from that person as we, as we go along oh i like what tim said like and then facebook goes aha you want to hear from tin and so it shows me more of that and so the algorithm is gen, gen, gently rolling you down the hill into a point where you only see posts that you have you interacted with in a positive way so that tends to be people you agree with so that tends to be people with whom you share political opinions. If you if you're the kind of person that, that, that is interested in politics and has you know these things crop up, and, and and everything pulls you in deeper. If you if you share a petition on one of these petition sites, it doesn't say stop people uh, using cats to build houses. Um, if you it doesn't say that. It says help help Tiernan get, get more signatures. Doesn't even say what the issue is. 
because it's presumed that if you're seeing it on your Facebook, you've probably got kind of similar similar vibes going on. So you'll click through. And also, it says help your friend. It's like, I'm going to help my friend. Whatever, whatever my friend needs, I'm going to help. So... So that drags you down. And yeah, advertising is really focused on what... Because they know, they, they know, they have so many data points on you. They know exactly what you want. And they show you adverts that, 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 that they think are specific... Excuse me. That they think are specifically specifically aimed at you so so it's the organic things the kind of they use this this, this term uh, organic when nothing on facebook is organic <laughs> i mean it's just a ludicrous term um but organic reach and organic friendship and organic introduction and organic interactions and then paid advertisements, and then and then there's the, the, the then there's the the kind of the the, the more the darker side of it, which is websites, whose whose make their money, who who make their money, off subscriptions, and the way they get people to subscribe is by making people angry, and they know exactly and. and and when you're angry about something, an article, oh gosh, so and so did this. Oh, what a plonker, they would say. Um, and you might share, yeah, yeah, they are a plonker. And, they sh- and you share it. And then your echo chamber and your friends and their echo chambers that you're also in, they, they get angry with it. So, so they, they get lots of reach through shares. And the more you're exposed to these things, the angrier you get. They're in the anger business. They've got to keep you angry. Because at some point, you're going to get so angry, you're going to give them some money. And that's their aim. Their aim is to maintain a business based on your anger. And so, I mean, this, this is an issue that spreads not just on those websites that pay for money. I mean, uh, again, a, a big point in your book, which I, I do agree with to, to very much, an, uh, there's, there's an extent that I agree to it with, which is the getting out of your echo chamber. And the reason, we're at the point where I disagree, is that, for example, on Twitter now, people, not only websites, people know that getting a rise out of others gets them likes, gets them retweets. People know that by being very angry yeah. or very unnuanced yeah. on a point gets them more interest by other people who like it. And therefore, it becomes very hard to follow people you don't disagree you disagree with because there's never a reasonable debate about it or there's never reasonable points about it it's always i will shout about the one thing i like and nothing else and then for, for especially from a sort of mental health point of view i find it very depressing <laughs> to follow people like that uh where i'm like you know I, I know that i can't talk to them about it i know that i can't ask them about it it will just be this or nothing and that then makes it very tricky to kind of explore outside your echo chamber. I think there are plenty of people with whom you disagree on Twitter who aren't just broadcasting nonsense. I think I think there is, there's journalists from all kinds of newspapers and all kinds of magazines out there that, 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 that have quite a wide wide spectrum of um, of political opinions. Yeah, I mean, of course, some people. Bark and bark and bark and bark and bark and bark, and there's no, there's no need to follow them because it's just annoying. Um, but it's about being, I suppose, it's about being careful and being selective. And, yeah, and giving people a go. And the, you know, if someone if someone posts something interesting, oh, to follow and unfollow on Twitter, there's no, there's no risk, there's no cost. So you can give people a go, and if they turn out to be twerps, 
<laughs> like it's it's yeah to be fair it's not hard to unfollow uh it's one of the beauties uh of those sort of things um i mean is your you know you, you've written this book at this current time in politics i thought it's good because it's called the breakdown because it's you breaking down things but also we're very much going through a, polit- a political breakdown yeah so we're, we're, we're in the middle of the breakdown yeah yeah check you with your double entendres i was very impressed um i wish i wish it were mine the publishers did that oh dad don't give it away I'm sorry, you should have taken all the say. credit you've ruined it on uh i'll edit that out <laughs> And we can just <laughs> the book. The book was originally called "Destroy Your Echo Chamber," right? Um, but that was seen as too negative. Sure, I was being too much of a negative Nancy, and also some people might know what might not know what an echo chamber is. So, so it was it was too negative, and people might and, and too technical. So, um, uh, it was then briefly going to be called "Take Back Control." Um, which I which which I still think was a bit of a funny name. It, I, again, yeah, I feel it's a funny name, but again, then you're only targeting one side of the argument, which would go oh, no, against the point of your. Not. It's not. It's not targeting one side. It's just saying we should take back control of our of our minds, of our communication. Oh, I, I don't disagree. That's what lives. you meant. I just meant that in bookshops when people saw it, it would be read yeah. by. Well, but but yeah. this is the thing: is in terms of you saying destroy echo chamber too negative. It, it is a very positive book, and I think it's a very positive book about how it, you know the aim of it is to bring cohesion between. Is is that right? Is that one of your aims to kind of get people listening to each other and being able to have politics at a level of debate where it used to be i can't remember when it last was previous before 2010 maybe maybe uh, before 2015 i don't know I mean, I, like before smartphones i guess yeah um but i mean no because the, the, the point is we are we the one when i talk about the breakdown it's a breakdown in communication it's a breakdown in trust it's a breakdown in listening and i think all of those things are really important i think that humanity we've lost all humanity in our politics and it's okay to disagree with someone because we don't all think the same. Um, but let's have some real communication and also give the other... Give, uh, let's give somebody else the benefit of the doubt. Let's trust them for a bit. Okay, well, where are you going with this? You know, let's listen and trust rather than leaping on people with whom we disagree and just time and time and time again um getting angry let's so i want i want i want to i want to make i want to make political conversations better and that could be political conversations in the house in the pub or just as much you know in westminster just introduce a bit more humanity a bit more trust um and more listening I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And we'll be back with Tassin in a minute, but first, a very long overdue. You know these other countries, uh, you know, the ones around the world that aren't Britain, despite some British people's desperate wish that they were, or were at least still owned by Britain. Well, those ones, uh, get this, they do politics too. And while this is predominantly a podcast that dives into UK politics, the EU elections this week make for far too shallow a depth for any sort of diving behaviour without it being ruined by waves later in the week. Did I just mix up waves and diving despite no actual clue if the latter is affected by the former? Yes, yes I did. And while you're still reeling from that screw-up, let me tell you that it's time again to take a little look-see into the happenings of elsewhere in the return of Hardly Global Broadcast. In Australia, aka Britain in the upside down, the current ruling Conservative coalition won their general election last week in what the re-elected Prime Minister and tanned Roy Chubby Brown, Scott Morrison, hailed as a miracle victory. You know, like how Miracle Whip is a cheap unnatural alternative that people get because they're devoid of taste. Actually, it was a miracle victory, though, because prior to the election, all polls suggested the Labour Party would win 51-52% to of the vote, with Morrison's Liberal National Party on 48-49%. to But now, as the last few votes are being counted, it looks like the LNP will have a majority, allowing Morrison to push through his anti-immigration, global heating-ignoring, tax-cutting plans. How did this happen? Well, supposedly it's down to Scott Morrison's rebrand as ScoMo, which sounds a lot like a hoax video causing children to self-harm. Him ignoring his record of preventing boats of asylum seekers getting to Australia and promising jobs over tackling the climate emergency because what everyone really wants is to be working in a proposed coal mine while their country goes on fire. Meanwhile, the Labour Party campaigned on long and complex initiatives, such as plans to reduce carbon emissions and changes to taxes on income from the stock market. So there we have it. Progressive policies come second to shortening your name and pretending you like people. Oh, God, Bojo is so going to win in the UK, isn't he? Oh, for fuck's sake. In India, where the world's largest general elections are currently happening, it looks as though part-shaved koala Narendra Modi and his party, BJP, which always sounds a bit rude, but it isn't, will win, even though many say this might just be exit poll gossip. If it's true, though, that's quite amazing, considering Modi's government have overseen an economic slowdown, widespread unemployment, a rise in Hindu nationalism and violence towards Muslims, and a farming crisis, getting to the brink of war with Pakistan, and yet still somehow, somehow it looks like they're the preferred choice. Modi is very much a populist, and one political commentator recently said that him and Trump were twins, separated by continents, which they would likely increase border security on so they wouldn't have to see each other. The only promise that Modi's government has carried out in their last few years of leadership has been building 100 million toilets in five years, proving that literally it's been a shit show. But it seems that rather than someone who'll bring them jobs, voters prefer a strong nationalistic combative leader who only provides places for jobbies. 
The Austrian Chancellor and definite Patrick Bateman cosplay, Sebastian Kurz, is calling for a snap election after his Conservative and far-right coalition government fell apart. When a video was leaked showing Vice-Chancellor and what if Alec Baldwin has a withering disease, Heinz Christian Stracher talking to a Russian investor. Stracher is from the very far-right, almost falling over Freedom Party, and in the vid, he offers various contracts to the investor in the hope of building a media landscape like Hungarian fascist and fatball Viktor Orban. Kurtz has said that enough is enough and there should be an election in September, while Stracker has blamed it all on being drunk and acting like a teenager. You know, that classic teenage night out where you lie about your age to buy some spirits and next thing you know, you're negotiating with a rich Russian in order to push for the return to an authoritarian Austrian rule. <laughs> Kids, eh? What are they like? Well, Nazis, apparently. Switzerland have voted on a series of annual referendums, with one outcome being a tightening of gun regulations, as who needs them when you can just walk your chosen hunted animal or murder victim to a euthanasia clinic instead? The rules will now be in line with EU regulations, which only previously caused issue because of a tradition of ex-soldiers keeping their assault rifles, something that seems particularly stupid on account of the Swiss always being a neutral country and that their soldiers may as well just carry spoons, or, you know, little knives with a toothpick and a bottle opener on. But as well as this sensible decision, last month the Swiss Supreme Court overturned the result of a referendum on the grounds that voters were not given enough information to vote. What? I know. It was to change the tax laws, as apparently they unfairly penalised married couples, but the public rejected that by 50.8% to 49.2%. The Christian Democratic Party launched an appeal, as at the time of the referendum, the government said the tax penalty affected 80,000 married couples, but it was revealed after that actually it affected nearly half a million. So the court overturned the referendum vote, and the government have said that it will now set up a group to propose additional measures to ensure the quality of preparation for decisions to be made by citizens. May I suggest not being allowed to write anything on a bus ever. And in Ukraine, comedian Stone Jeremy Renner lookalike and now President Volodymyr Zelensky has become the country's sixth head of state and after doing so immediately disbanded Parliament. Typical comedian, storming it, swearing, then shutting things down so it's really hard for all the others on the bill. And now... Back to Tatton. And, and do you think that... Uh, because because I, I just didn't know much about... But when I first got interested in politics, I would say there was definitely interest at the time of the Iraq war. That was the first time I knew something was happening that I didn't agree with, and that was kind of real... As a, as a student, when all I really cared about at the time was drinking and very, things along those lines. But the yeah. Iraq war was... Well, drinking is very important. Very important. Um, that was definitely one of the big events where I realised, hey, the government's doing something I don't like and I'm very angry about it. And then later on, I suppose it was a sort of uh, beginning of the kind of post-crash into the beginning of the David Cameron Conservative era and um, the Conservatives making various policies that affected people I know and things like this. Um, but do you, do you think that... It's you know the lack of understanding about politics, the lack of understanding how Parliament works, the lack of understanding the kind of nitty gritty of what it takes to pass a bill, all the things that you do with simple politics. Like, is is that? Do you think that's adding to the discourse? Do you think that it would? If we all had a greater understanding of this, I mean, for example, Brexit. As I said, you know, people seem to think it can happen now when it's quite obvious there's a lot of work that needs to happen. <laughs> How, how much do you think that would help to have a better understanding of these things? Oh, I, th I think it's it, 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 it's it, it's it's integral. I think that if you don't really understand what's going on, well, first of all, you can get the message from from, from the news that this really isn't for you. This the, all of this stuff that's going on. I'm talking about second readings here. I'm talking about free legislative scrutiny. I'm talking about the 1922 committee who are, ha who are having a say on this. I'm, I'm talking about the PLP, the Parliamentary Labour Party, like whatever, all of this jargon, 
tells people that politics isn't for them. And if that if they feel like that, then then you get a very dangerous situation. When that's what that's why you get. I don't trust politicians. I don't trust these people because they seem to come from this murky world that you've got no window into. You know, like they um, in construction sites, they put windows now in the in the hoardings, so you can see into what you can see into what's going on. Because presumably, otherwise, you think they're building some kind of bomb or something terrible that's going to be awful. So they put a little window in, so you can look inside and you feel, oh, that's what's happening to my area. That's that's better. Like um, these. It gives you an insight into what's going on, and it, you don't feel so removed and so part, apart from it. So, so if you have a window into what's going on, then everything makes sense. The, the rules of the game are really important if you're going to play the game. And if you don't get the rules of the game... I went to watch an Aussie Rules football match once. I had no idea what was going on. I left at half-time. Um, because if it's confusing and and you feel it's not for you, then you're you're gonna you're gonna be estranged. You're gonna wander off. You're gonna con- consistently hold these ideas that politicians are only in it for themselves. You're gonna consistently be negative about the whole political system. And I guess that plays into the whole this this current we you know there's this current big anti elite narrative, this anti kind of oh, well they're all against you and and we've got to the real people have got to take it back that. that it plays into the narrative if everything is too complicated for the the average Joe slash Tiernan to understand. Yes, the average Tiernan is, uh, is yeah. in real trouble with some of this stuff. Fortunately, <laughs> I believe yeah. you to be an above average Tiernan. Thanks, um, I'm really pleased with myself. <laughs> Take that other Tiernans. <laughs> um, yeah, so so understanding what these things mean is important, and all, but also, I think it's, it's six of one half half dozen of the other. I think political reporting tends to be very elitist. It makes reference to these this jargon, and oh, they, oh, I mean, when was the last time we watched the news where the main people didn't say, "Well, I just had a text message off a senior conservative source." It's like, well. This murky world of, of of text messages and and WhatsApp groups where nothing's ever said word for word as it was, and no, you never know who it was that said it. This kind of this kind of secret dark arts. Which, I mean, we've just we've just recently had the leak about Huawei and Gavin Williamson absolutely adamant it's not him and it just it's all such a mess sorry is is part of that that you say it's reporting is part of it also parliament you know like we talk about the 1922 committee and that all being a secret meeting and all the way in which certain things are carried out could that all be more clear as well could could parliament uh, you know we're hopefully or there may be a new sort of parliament temporary parliament in 2025 with that should there also maybe be changes that make this all a bit more understandable for everyone yes and no i mean yes i mean whatever we can do to make things more understandable absolutely needs to happen um i mean at the moment with the, so the 1922 committee if you're if you're listening you don't know what it is it's the it's the the controlling group of the parliamentary conservative party uh uh no it's not it's just conservative party mps it's not conservative party peers it's not the parliamentary party 
and they and they meet up and they discuss how things should be run and the prime minister will come in and they'll all bang the desks um, because they're all still at public school um, <laughs> and um, bang the desks and then she walks and um, and and then they and then they have this meeting and it happens behind closed doors and the second it finishes journalists have falling over themselves to find Laura Koonsberg or whoever it is they would like to leak what happened to. It's kind of trying to have your cake and eat it because it's like, oh no, we're a secret, we're a secret meeting with just the MPs. But then they get, I mean, it just gets leaked the second, the second, I mean, sometimes, sometimes they're texting from inside the meeting. Oh God. So... So, do we just let's let's abandon this nonsense and just put a, stick a camera in there? Let's have, let's have a watch. Let's see what happens. Let's make it open. Or, or, I mean, a, a cabinet they have to hand their phones in, but then they get their phones back after cabinet, and they're straight on to uh, you know Sophie Ridge. Hey Sophie, this is what happened. It's. <laughs> But it, I mean, it's partly because you know these journalists are looking to they, no, sorry, these politicians are looking to, to further their own career, maybe. Or I mean, I don't, I don't really know what drives the leak agenda. I don't know if it's about a desire to get make information public. Um, but coming through this leaked prism makes everything seem more complicated and more elitist. Um, that. That only only so and so many people were in the room, and then only so many of those people have spoken to the elite, the top journalists, and then and then the message comes to us. And there's no doubt that there's Chinese whispers involved here. There's no doubt that not quite what happened gets through. It's 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 a ludicrous system. So I would say, either well, I, I would say make it public. Because there's no way of, of stopping it being public. It, 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 you say the leaks, like, you know, when these MPs leak, thing, leak things, is it for their own career? And there's, I really like your bit in the book about MPs, uh, when people believe they're self-serving and how the path to being an MP is so long that it's a really flawed plan if you want to do it for your own gain because it takes far too long, far too much money, far too much of your time. You have to, you have to care. But at the same time, there are MPs, and just to throw a name out, for example, Boris Johnson's finally announced He's running for leadership, which we all knew. There are several MPs, so it's very hard not to look at them and think, I don't know who else you care about. Is are, are, are we just in exceptional times? Or again, is that the media in the way and highlights things? What are we, you know, why? Why is this happening? Tatan, why is this happening? What's going well, on? I, <laughs> <laughs> I choose, Tin, and I choose to trust politicians. Because of this ludicrous running, you've got to, you know, stand unsuccessfully as councillor kind of 25 years before you get to run as an MP in a seat that you might win. So you've, you've, you've done it for a very long time. Um, and, yes, there are a couple of MPs. I don't think Boris Johnson spent too much time in the local council. And I don't know <laughs> I that for sure. It, yeah. But there are some... There are some MPs that do manage to kind of vault their way in. I mean, Hilary Benn from the other side... You know, as, as Tony Benn's son, I'm I'm not sure, I'm not sure he did he he went the route that other people go through. Um, 
Uh, one thing that's often, that's often, I'm going to say this very quickly because um, I know, I know time is tight. One thing that people say is, well, look at them. They're all, they're all their, 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 their mouths in the trough. They're just trying to feed themselves. Look at the way they've all got, they've all got buy-in on healthcare, on private healthcare, and then they vote for health, private healthcare. Doesn't that proof? Isn't that proof they're terrible? And I'd say no, it's not proof they're terrible. For this reason, if Let's 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 take wind farms, right? You're a lifelong believer in wind farms. You think wind farms are great. You think it's the best way to get energy. We love wind farms, and then you invest in wind farms because you got some money. You got some money to invest. What am I going to invest in? Wind farms because I believe in wind farms. And then there's a vote in the House of Commons about whether we're going to have more more or fewer wind farms. How, you're going to vote for wind farms because you're all about wind farms. But in doing so, you will also be voting for yourself to make some money through these wind farms you invested in. But it's all because you love wind farms. It's not, it's not, it's not a corrupt reason. It would be odd to vote against wind farms. So just because, yeah, I mean, this, the, I th- I, I, like I say, I can't persuade you to love all MPs. I don't love all MPs, but I choose to trust MPs when they when they say things. And what I also think it's it's uh, I think it's a really good example that you you put. But I I think to counter that that the um, wind farms we know generate uh, are environmentally friendly. They generate electricity. People they hopefully make it more affordable or will do if we use them properly. Whereas when certain MP investments are in private companies or or things that uh, and again I know the book you point out that. I, ideology is the belief that private companies are better and i do understand that but when there's evidence that stacks up against these things being better in certain situations and yet then they still invest it's very hard to look at that and go there's evidence that says it's not a good thing <laughs> yeah it's very hard to look at that reasonably well i don't know i mean there's 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 space there's space there's, there, there, there are people, people who believe in private companies believe that will come right believe the evidence might be temporary believe that private companies might be doing not the right way you know, there's not evidence that suggests something's been done badly. Doesn't mean that all all other private ways of doing it are bad. Sure, sure, and and also, yeah, not you know, not everyone has to deal with Chris Grayling. So, um, what I what I will say is, um, let's let's move away because I will start now being too negative about ABC, which is exactly the the not the point of your point. <laughs> um, and I do have to say, and I think I think in the book you argue it brilliantly, um, and I also think that you really do put the case forward for us having more faith in the people who are doing these jobs, which is really important. And I I think that that something else i always think people should note is that we only ever see a handful of mps on television they do tend to put the ones on who will get the best ratings who will be loudest and most interesting and there are hundreds and hundreds of mps who really care about their jobs and don't do all these question times and news nights and everything there's about 600 mps about 50 mps that we ever see yeah if that and then there are 600 other mps who are doing loads of work, and we just don't loads see it. Of work. So, I, yeah. so I do, I, I, you know, I, I do feel that we're sort of always looking at things through a prism of almost entertainment in a way, and that what's going to get the, you know, uh, what's going to get people angriest on Twitter, what's going to get people more interested, like like you said earlier, with the, with the media it encourages people to. Do it. Um, 
So, uh, what I wanted to ask, though, before uh, we wrap this up is, obviously, you and me do this kids' show uh, that I've heard is yes, brilliant. I've heard, I've heard so really good, good things about it. Um, and by the time people hear this, we may have the Folkestone gig on Saturday, 25th of May. It may just be after that. We will have the gigs at the Underbelly South Bank on the 30th and 31st of May. I, look, I plug this every week to you people. Um, if you haven't paid attention That's by so now, good. it's... Uh, <laughs> so, but, but, I mean, we uh, have got very similar reasons for wanting to do this um but i don't want to speak on your behalf why what, you know what's the point in educate we, we, we talked about people adults finding this complicated is it is it doable to make kids understand politics they can't as i as, as, i'm going to quote lines from my show now they can't vote as, <laughs> actually it's your line in the show but they can't vote yet because they're not old enough what's the point in us doing this now what's the point in educating children from the age of seven plus you can bring children age seven plus <laughs> Uh, well, uh, it's it's about it's just about being able to communicate your ideas. It's about looking around, and I mean, every single person, you know, like I've got a three year old, and and he very much tells me what they, what he thinks is unfair, and he thinks you know they've they've got ideas for the they've got ideas to make things better, and talking to children about other people's ideas and their ideas and what and what they can do is really important. I mean, I go into lots of schools. And one of the main things I do in primary schools is I get is I get kids to disagree with each other on stuff, and then they listen and they say why they think that, and they listen to what the other person says, and then and then they have a conversation. It's really lovely, and I think, well, I think of politics a lot like sex education, right? Um, it's awkward. It can be awkward and not very nice to do, but if you don't teach kids about sex. They find out, they go and watch porn and they learn about sex from porn. If you don't teach kids about politics, they go to these subscriber based anger merchants and, that's, and they, learn, they learn from these angry, disruptive um, sources and, and they never learn to do politics right. They never learn to be, to be human, they never learn to listen, they never learn to debate and interact and do politics in a really positive way. Now, obviously, our show is um, it's, it's 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 a comedy show. It's a fun, we have a lot of fun doing it. Uh, lots of talking with the audience, lots of voting, all that kind of thing. Um, it's got no sex education. It's got no sex. Oh, I, 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 I don't put any condoms on did bananas. I not, did There's I not tell like you about happening. the new bit? that we're going to do oh god Tan, <laughs> stop adding bits stop it <laughs> stop no it. no sex education at all but preparation preparation for a life of being interested in politics which is incredibly handy i mean i just i i still uh regardless of uh you know how people voted on brexit etc etc but remain or leave it still baffles me that there wasn't just a year of programs saying this is what it will mean <laughs> this is you know and i and i think that every time with so many political policies i just always look at it and go could we not have had an hour-long explainer for this i don't know if i'd have watched it but at least i could have said it was there <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, you know, that's the thing about these issues. The, 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 the issues I break down in the book are just, you know, a few pages long, going, having a look what everyone thinks about the different, about, about prioritisation, about education, about free speech. What do people think about it and why? And I hope that, I hope, yeah, I, I, hope, I, hope, I hope that that helps. I hope that it's fun and enjoyable and also that it helps people get, understand politics a bit more for the rest of their lives.
Yeah, I'm sure it will. And there's also a lovely bit about uh, a little mix track in the middle of I think it's a Slayer album, isn't it, or something? But the, the, yes, you know, it's yes. also very worth it for that line that made. I had, I had, I used the the Bjork song. It's so so quiet as an explanation about how we had privatization, then didn't have privatization, then did have privatization, and didn't have privatization. Um, and it was wonderful, and it was the best bit of the book. And they said we can't get the rights to the Bjork song. Jesus. You can't have it. So. Um, so I was very sad. Send it to me. I'll tweet it. I'll tweet it from the Twitter account. <laughs> I'll do it as an exclusive. The bit that should have been in the book. I'm so sad not to have read that. Uh, oh well, well done. It's great. I genuinely, genuinely enjoyed reading it. And uh, Thanks, it's out from on May the thirtieth, isn't it? Is May thirtieth, right? Thursday. And if you if you're around Thursday the thirtieth at home, I'm going to be on Sky News at nine forty-five with Adam Bolton. That's very exciting. And then, so and then leave your in. home and bring your children to our South Bank Kids show. Exactly. So, I mean, what's happened, Tatton, is this turned from an interview where I was genuinely interested in your book into a self-serving sell-our show. <laughs> Do you know what, Tannen? Every interaction I have with you, I feel is self-serving for you in some way. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. But I'm better than the average Tannen, so that's all that counts. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks tons to Tatton. Um, I know he's been on lots, but he's allowed because he knows things. Um, his book, as I mentioned earlier, is excellent for either those politics beginners or, as Tatton says, those stalwarts who only know their own ideology. It's a nicely easy read and it's very useful in such political times. Uh, I really can't recommend it enough. Uh, as I said earlier, I really can't. So many times I'm going to say it. Um, it's called The Breakdown and it can be found in bookshops of all moral repute as of May the 30th. I'll pop a little link. Um, I'll pop, oh God, an Amazon link. Terrible things. I'll pop that in the blurb or unless I can find a slightly better place uh, a less, more tax-paying place that stocks it instead. Um, do also check out, if you don't already, Tatton's online baby, simplepolitics.co.uk, which I regularly use as research for this show. Um, sign up to the mailing list, listen to their podcast, and follow them on Facebook or Twitter at Easy Politics UK. Oh, and come and see our kids' shows. How does this politics thing work then? Especially the ones in London on May 30th and the 31st, as it would be really nice if it wasn't just us shouting at each other for over an hour. Um, I mean, it's an hour long, but if there's no one there, we'll probably overrun. Please, please come. Um, please. Um, I've got the next two, possibly three, maybe even four weeks of interviews all sewn up. Yeah, check me. Uh, obviously, that's depending on if people drop out or, you know, actually listen to the podcast before they do it, then refuse to take part. Um, that hasn't happened yet, but I'm very much waiting for it. I'm sure it will one day. Um, so I always want suggestions of which guests to get and which subjects to find people to ask about. And I know there are topics I've never looked into on this show, including defence, which I really struggle to find anyone um, up for a chat about it. They get very defensive when I ask, which feels uh, appropriate. Um, but let me know who to talk to and you can do that via at Parpolbro on Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast Facebook group, the contact page at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk or partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Or like the Voynich manuscript, you could scribe it on Velium in an unknown illustrated codex and then in hundreds of years' time, many will try to decode it but ultimately fail. Though it won't really matter as I'll be dead by then and this podcast won't be a thing as everyone just has noises beamed directly into their brain through technology that I don't understand and that's of course only if the world hasn't ended um, by that point. So look, all I'm saying is uh, it's much, much easier to eat email isn't it always always easier to email and that's all for this week's partly political broadcast podcast thank you for listening to this weekly political mind belching and if you do enjoy the noises from my mouth then please do donate to the Kofi or patreon just enough for a cuppa um, that drink that you'd like to buy me or you know a milkshake if you don't like throwing them at fascists or have a spare one for me if you do so that we can throw them together like dairy avengers Please review the show on whichever podcast app is nearest to your fingers and thumbs, or toes if you're clever like that. Please also tell people about this show and let them know it exists, or if you like that it doesn't exist and is part of a weird conspiracy and then they'll 
seek it out, um, which may actually take a while because this stupid podcast's name on algorithm things it always comes up with actual party broadcasts and partly date. Anyway, fuck them. But then when they find it is real, they'll think they're in on something really secret and immediately listen in case um, it'll actually tell them some sort of future events or deep government goings on. But actually, it's just me wanging on. But then they'll forget to unsubscribe and ultimately I'll win. <clears throat> Thanks to Acast for still having the show amongst its actually good podcasts, allowing it to lurk at the back. Uh, to my brother, the last skeptic for the musical hubbub, and to Cat Day for all the linear line notes with all the links and that, which you can, of course, find at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk a few days after each ep is released. Uh, this will be back next week when, after decent EU election wins, the Lib Dems announce that their new slogan is Fuck Brexit up the arse, only for former leader Tim Farron to derail it by bursting into tears and condemning his own party to hell. Bye. This week's show is sponsored by Slim Fash. Are you worried about the rise in the far right in your area? Starting to wish you could shed those Nazis you've gained over Christmas? With Slim Fash, you just need to replace two skinheads in your area per day with milkshakes. And by the end of the month, there won't be any black shirts as they'll be covered in a lovely strawberry peanut chocolate or vanilla tinge. Which, ironically, is all the colours of skin that they hate. Slim Fash, because who has time to get rid of racists slowly? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.